Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Before we get started today, I want to tell you about MSU Denver Online because now is the time to apply and register for classes. Spring semester starts January 19th. That's 20 days away. I know that because today I know the date, the last day of the year. Time and time again, the one thing that will protect you against economic downturn is an education, allowing you to adapt into varying careers. MSU Denver Online puts a dynamic education at your fingertips without forcing you to decide between earning a degree and living your life. MSU Denver is the Colorado institution providing rigorous and affordable online programs taught by professors who bring the real world into the classroom. MSU Denver graduates use their relevant degrees to land coveted jobs. It's a great opportunity for you to learn from great professors. If you just want to learn to sort of expand your knowledge, grow as a person, maybe a subject you wanted to learn about, MSU Denver is great for that. If you want to switch careers and you need relevant education, It's also great for that as well. So check out MSU Denver online. It's a great way if you're thinking about this. Everybody's planning their New Year's resolutions right now. One of your resolutions is to gain education, switch careers. Don't wait. Do it today. What is up, everybody, and welcome to the DNVR Nuggets podcast presented by DraftKings. I'm your host, Adam Mades, and I am bringing you here, closing out the year 2020. Closing it out with a solo pod. Not quite a notebook pod, although segment one is going to be a notebook pod. I wanted to, you know, as I'm going through the video again on this and and kind of preparing some different clips and stuff for it, um, I thought I would rather, you know, some things are kind of becoming clear. Being a little bit pr- reflective on the first couple of games, the first week, and, and, and a couple different things going on with the Nuggets. And I just thought I would spend most of this show, segments two and three, talking about Michael Porter and talking about the sort of challenge facing the Nuggets, because I feel like it's becoming increasingly clear, even though a lot of what we said about, you know, what the challenge was going to be for the Nuggets this season is sort of like on full display. I mean, I think we were right, alike. I think a lot about the challenges, maybe wrong about how difficult it was going to be, especially early on. But I want to kind of ref- reflect on that and provide some perspective. So that'll be a majority of this episode. But I want to start first by just going back at some of the things that popped out to me. I mean, we talked about this on the live postgame show, but blow-bys without a screen are absolutely killer. And the guy who really stood out in that regard on this last uh, in this last game was Monte Morris. I was kind of surprised by that. There was, And this will be up on the list, um, or at least there'll be a video clip up there uh, on DNVR that kind of shows De'Aaron Fox taking it to him over and over. Every time Fox had the opportunity to match up with Monte Morris, he was going at him. I don't know if those guys have some bad beef or if there was just, you know, a you can't guard me kind of situation, but Fox definitely got the better of him and was letting him know about it. I think as far as like blow-bys without a screen, it's about the worst thing that can happen to a defense. If you're just talking about like a half-court defense, being blown by without a screen is is right there with splitting the pick and roll. If you get split in a pick and roll, you know, it's four on three going downhill. It's the exact same thing if you get blown by. It's basically a five on four. The defense has to 
uh, rotate in a way that leaves them completely compromised. And that was just happening with Denver so much. Of course, it was happening in the pick and roll. And of course, it was happening with other players besides Monte. I don't by any means want to make it sound like it was just Monte Morris. But, um, you know, he's just stood out so much because there was a real stretch with De'Aaron Fox kind of going right at him, grabbing some man ones, kind of getting in his face and jawing at him a little bit. But of course, Michael Porter got blown by. Nikola Jokic got blown by. Uh, everybody on the roster was just getting blown by. And defense, you can come up with schemes, you can make adjustments, you can do all these different things, but at the end of the day, you still have to be able to be above a certain threshold of just being able to keep your man in front of you, and Denver just was not able to do that. Um, <laughs> Jokic, in this game, that that it, that foul that was not called, Michael Malone gets a technical, Jokic spins on Rashawn Holmes, dunks it, I mean, we haven't seen Jokic do the drop step dunk, I don't know, ever, and so seeing him be able to do that this year and just the aggressive way he's been trying to like show off his athleticism has been fun. But that play, Rashawn Holmes just grabs his shirt right in front of a referee. There's nobody obstructing the view. I just don't understand how Jokic doesn't get these calls. It drives me nuts that we are this far into Jokic's career and he still has a player like Rashawn Holmes grabbing his shirt as he goes up to dunk it. You're still seeing the shirt and he still can't get the call. Um, so Michael Malone, I, I was actually glad Michael Malone got a technical in that because sometimes I feel like Malone is too protective of his technicals. That was a perfect opportunity to snag a technical and be like, Hey guys, what the, how do you miss that one of all fouls? Um, I thought on rewatch, there was two players that really changed my mind. I guess you could say Michael Porter too. Michael Porter, I thought had a very up and down game. I think his up in the third quarter and even fourth quarter was higher than even I thought watching it live. And it was obviously jumped off the screen live in the fourth quarter. He did some things that stood out that, um, you know, I, I either did not remember or just, they, they looked a little bit better even on the second time around, but the two players that were the most different were, uh, Compasso and Hartenstein Hartenstein, I thought looked worse on rewatch. There were just some things he did that, um, I, I thought was really bad, but Compasso I thought looked better on rewatch. I think that the, you know, a lot of people want to throw him completely out of the rotation because his bad parts were really bad, especially in that third or fourth, that fourth quarter in particular. He had a really lazy sort of like entry pass that got stolen um, and then thrown off of, I think, Gary Harris. So he had some really bad plays. Um, but watching that first half, I thought he ran pick and roll with Hartenstein really well. And I thought he had some phenomenal passes in that early, in that early going and defensively, you know, made a little bit of an impact as well. So for me going back and watching him, I would probably knock him up a little bit in terms of what, what I would have graded him. You know, he might've been like a D minus the, my immediate reaction going back. It was more like maybe a C, C plus even, um, like Michael Porter, he had one good half, one bad half. So um, but but nonetheless, Composo did some things that made me think I really would like to see the ball in his hands more in that second unit. And I, I think it's hard to judge anybody off of that second unit yet and throw them out because of how bad that looks as a unit. You know, Will Barton has really eaten up a lot of the usage with that that group, and he's a really good player. He's probably the best player on the second unit. But be, the way it's constructed, I just think he needs to be off ball more, and that's just a hard – right now they haven't really landed on that. But I would try, if I were Malone and, and you plan on continuing to play Composo, I would really try to emphasize putting the ball in his hands in the half court, at least initially, and, and getting some energy into it. He does a lot of the things, and I think European-born players – especially ones that have been playing professionally before. You know, a lot of players coming over from Europe, it's not like the U.S. where there's AAU and, and this or that. Like, a lot of them have been playing at a very high level or even professionally for many, many years, even by the time they arrive here. Composo is one of those ones where 
he does a lot of the like high level basketball things that don't show up. Not not that they don't show up in a box score, but that like if you get five guys that all know how to play the game, then they all start to pop. You know, just little things like cuts and timing on picks and and things like that that he he does at a very very high level. So for for me, Composo looked a lot better on this rewatch, and that was encouraging to see. Um, that run in the third quarter was absolutely incredible by the Denver Nuggets, and in particular by Nikola Jokic and Michael Porter Jr. I mean, this was it was a team effort. I'm not trying to take away from the other guys who were on the court, the starters, but you know, when we talked about Jokic and Murray, it's the synergy between those two guys and also the skill level of those two guys. When those guys are in perfect sync, their skill levels go up to a hundred percent value. Right, you don't. You're not getting a little bit of a reduction out of both of them. It's like both guys perfectly complement each other, so that their skill sets can be on full display. I felt like Michael Porter and Jokic had a little bit of that going in that third quarter, and it was overwhelming to the Kings. I mean, Denver just des- destroys them in that quarter and goes up by ten points. And a lot of that was, you know, incredible shot making by Michael Porter. I mean, I'm a, one of the reasons I wanted to do a show just on Michael Porter. I'm going to talk about this in a little bit. There are people that had a very negative response to our post-game shows about Michael Porter over the last few games. People saying, like, you guys are going to run him out of town. You don't like him, this or that. I want to make it clear. There are only two players that I completely buy into their talent and their potential in the Nuggets, in this Nuggets era over the last six years. Nikola Jokic, everybody knows. I was on board. I was possibly the first person on board that train. Nikola Jokic was a phenomenal player. I thought that his first summer league and only thought that even more going into his rookie season. The second one is Michael Porter. Now, I think Jamal Murray is also a great player, and he's really like proven me wrong inside of the bubble. I still think that he can be this like incredible, and already is this incredibly dynamic player. Michael Porter, to me, is more like Jokic in that I look at the talent and I say, okay, it's there's no ceiling on this. There's no cap on it. This is how high I am on Michael Porter. He can be the best shot maker in the NBA. And this is an NBA that features an enormous amount of great shot makers. You think of the Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant of the world and these guys. And those guys are obviously better than him right now. But I'm saying when you just look at the skill set he presents at 6'10", 6'11", his athleticism, his balance, his jump shot, his just knack for how to put the ball in the basket. To me, the guy has so much upside that I don't... So I just wanted to put this out there because there's people that think for whatever reason that maybe I'm low on him or this or that. Absolutely not. What he is right now is a player that is so uneven. His talent is so high and his mistakes are such low quality mistakes, meaning they're, they're the type of mistakes you rarely see from a player of his talent level. So there's this huge gap. And I think that's, we're going to talk about this a little bit later. That's sort of what makes him such an interesting like person and an interesting player and, and why there's so much um, fodder for conversation. But I just want to make it clear. I am the one that is all in on Michael Porter. I am the one that thinks this guy like don't want to trade him for James Harden, don't want to, you know, don't want to like judge anything that happens with him here early on because I think he is such a transcendent sound. If you guys remember, we were doing hot box and hot takes back in like March or April or something during the early part of quarantine. I said that I thought Michael Porter had the sh- the ability to be the greatest player to ever play. I'm not saying he will. It's like a 0.0001% chance that that happens. I'm just saying that there's no limiting factors on him. You can't look at Compazzo, for example, and say, oh, he could be the greatest player. For one, he's 29. For two, he's five foot eleven. For three, he doesn't have a sh- like this. The things that are working against him make him that his ceiling is is a certain level. Michael Porter doesn't have that. He's one of maybe ten players like that that doesn't really have a ceiling. 
what his likely outcome is obviously well short of best player ever, but he's just so talented that there's nothing, there, there's really, he's only limited by how much he can learn and grow over the course of time that he gets to play this game, hopefully 20, 20 you know, 20 years. Um, so I, I couldn't be higher on Michael Porter. Um, and it was just incredible to watch the shot making and him and Jokic because I felt like they're, I feel like they're so not on the same page, but the moments where they sort of intersect. And we saw this in the month of January last year when they were forced to, they played together a lot and they, they would reach these moments where it's like, oh man, the, the, the Jokic MPJ two man game is almost as good as the Jokic Murray two man game already. Well, that third quarter, it felt like that. That third quarter was a haymaker of two of the best players and uh, of the best players on the court being both nuggets and being in perfect harmony. And there's nothing the Kings could do about it. They were helpless for that moment in which Jokic and MPJ sort of entered this state of connectivity and, and, and chemistry. And it was awesome to see. And it's those glimpses I think that give you hope and get you excited for uh, the future. So that's where, um, you know, so on rewatch, that's what was so great. And by the way, Michael Porter just seems to get better with less structure. And this is where, He's a great basketball player. He's not yet a great NBA player because he has to learn. There's little things about basketball you have to just learn about it. But he has so now. I mean, he's like a, uh, you know, he's like a, a genius. That's like his first day in college. Is he smarter than his peers? Yes. But there's certain things you have to learn that form the baseline so that you can use that genius and apply it in a great way. And that's sort of where he's at right now. But they reached a level together in that third quarter. That was fun to see. And the fourth quarter really was just about fatigue. I thought Michael Malone. Didn't trust that bench unit a little. Uh, he needed to trust him a little bit more. With nine minutes to go, he basically gave Jokic a three-minute rest. I think he – and the bench blew the lead. I mean, the the Jokic and MPJ were on the court when they were up 10, and I think they finished the quarter up four or five or something like that. They, they started to already let it slip a little bit, and I think that kind of killed things because then when the second unit came in and gave up the lead, you know, they give up a five-point run in like two or three minutes, then Michael Malone says, okay, no more. We have to put the guys back in. I think it would have worked. It's easy to say this in hindsight. I think if he would have given Jokic two or three more minutes, the Nuggets might have been hopefully – tied or only down four or five points. And then if you're, you're talking about only you get six minutes now, Jokic maybe can go in and, and sprint for six minutes and be all right. As it was, he had to play the nine minutes. He ran out of steam. Monte Morris ran out of steam. Monte Morris missed three wide open shots that all would have been huge momentum changers. Michael Porter missed a layup that I think would have been a momentum changer. So there were just these little plays that I thought Denver was just too fatigued on and, and they, they it formed a pivot point that lost it for him. But there was upon rewatch, the thing that really stood out to me more than anything else was that we did get that glimpse of what MPJ and Jokic look like when they click. And it's incredible. And this is before you factor in Jamal Murray. And it is incredible. They honestly looked a little, there was plays and it's going to be on the list. There was one action in particular, Murray, uh, or I'm sorry, MPJ comes off of a pin down from Jokic, curls it into the basket or into the center of the court and then flips it over to Jokic in the corner for a, uh, a, uh, a corner three and he drains it. And it was one of those plays that looked like the Warriors, the way the ball was moving and the way two unstoppable players were in sync. And I'm telling you, it's enough that you should be very encouraged. We're going to take a break on the other side though. We're going to start getting into just the Michael. I, I want to set the stage because I think it's even more clear now than it was a week ago about what this season is all about. Hassle company guys, hassle cattle company. You know what it means? Hassle free meat life. That's right. 
brought you damn good beer. Now we're delivering to you damn good beef. Hassle Cattle Company, the absolute best source for form-to-table Wagyu beef in the country. Hassle Cattle Company is a fourth-generation cattle farm. You know I love this stuff. Fourth-generation cattle farm out of Texas. They ship all over the beautiful U.S. Uh, right to your door. They call their beef blue-collar Wagyu because it's delicious, but it's also affordable. Blue, uh, Hassle Cattle Company offers Wagyu smoked sausage, New York strip, beef bacon, Wagyu frank, without any fillers, two jerky flavors, original and sweet and spicy. Their hamburgers won Food Network's Northeast Burger Jam. We love their beef. I'm telling you guys, they have these like this beef bacon that's incredible. It's like a sandwich thick beef. It's, it's, it's delicious for egg, for breakfast, whatever it is that you're doing. Hassle Cattle Company, H-A-S-S-E-L-L, cattlecompany.com. Use promo code DNBR10 to get 10% off your order. That's DNBR10 for 10% off. Don't forget, support our partners, guys. This is like the best way. It, it would suck if we were throwing you these terrible companies. We're throwing you eight-plus companies here. So use DNBR10 for 10% off. And any order over $200, you get free shipping. Check them out. I promise you will not be disappointed. Also want to tell you about DraftKings. You guys know all about DraftKings. The holiday season may be winding down. The sports calendar, though, is in full swing this week. College to professional sports, no shortage of action. There's no better place to get in on that action than DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. If you haven't tried out DraftKings Sportsbook, what are you waiting for? Celebrate this year's college football playoffs. DraftKings is giving all new users the chance to bet on any semifinal team to win the championship at 100 to 1 odds. Man, this is crazy. Every week they get a new one of these these copies and I'm always like holy crap that's a 100 to 1 odds that's right all you have to do is bet $1 any semi-final team to win the championship and if your team wins you cash a hundo download the top rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now use promo code DNVR when you sign up to get that 100 to 1 semi-final odds uh, that's promo code DNVR limited time only only at DraftKings Sportsbook must be 21 or older Colorado only restrictions apply see DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details and if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. So, as I'm sitting here tonight, the night before New Year's Eve, and I'm, I'm kind of in like in a reflective state. Maybe it's just the season. Maybe it's, I don't know what it is. But just, to be honest with you, I'm sitting here after watching the games, and this is like 1 o'clock in the morning, and I find myself... Thinking about Kobe, I guess this was several hours ago, but I was thinking about sitting here thinking about Kobe and uh, Kobe Bryant, that is, and how much my perspective on him has sort of changed over the years. And part of this, full disclosure, Kobe Bryant was my favorite, one of my favorite players for a portion of my life, an important portion of my life, my college years, basically. And at the point in time in my life when I was a college basketball player and um, you know, working on my game when my, you know, wanting to be at this great basketball player was just so important to me. And Kobe Bryant just was the most fun player to watch from a technical perspective. I still remember when he went down and trained on his footwork in the post with Akeem Olajuwon. Like, to me, there's like there's certain basketball videos that I just absolutely every time they're on, like I, I love them. The Christmas video from ESPN where they go back in time and it's like all the ex Bulls and Lakers with the current Bulls and I just love that. Like anytime I see that, it, it I have to watch the entire thing. There's certain videos like that. One of the videos to me is the uh, the one of him working out in the post with Akeem Olajuwon, and the reason I like it and it and watching it even back then, it, it was like a thing that like really inspired me. He's going over every piece of the footwork as if it were a ballet. It's not like, oh, let me see this move. I'm now going to go copy it. It's funny because I remember Dwight Howard then one time went down and 
worked out with Hakeem. And you watch Hakeem, uh, Dwight Howard work out, and at least the video he released, who knows what these guys are really doing behind the video or whatever, but at least the video he released, you could just watch him not paying any attention to like the moves and just like half-ass mimicking whatever it was that Hakeem was doing. Kobe Bryant was watching like every every tiny inch of the court, every single step, how far apart his feet were. He was going over all the little div- – when do I dip my shoulder? When do I keep it up? And it was just so cool to see because you saw that, you know, for Kobe, this really was an art form and a science all combined in one. He really was trying to, like, perfect whatever it was that, um, you know, he saw from this. And I, and I just loved it. So Kobe was an important player to me in that regard. Of course, Kobe's a mixed bag. And us here in Colorado, we know this, I think, as well as anyone. His past and, and his his issues in Eagle County with the rape accusation and ultimately the settlement, you know, that's a part of his legacy. And there was a moment in time, a large moment in time, when, you know, I no longer wanted th- anything to do with him or this or that. Um, I also found, and I should also say that my perspective on him, you know, this was the year we lost Kobe Bryant, tragically, and his daughter. And I would be lying if I said that, you know, I have two daughters of my own. And if I would be lying if I said that I wasn't incredibly affected by his passing in part because of, you know, what he meant to the game and and how young he was and just how, uh, you know, I, I also think about Kobe hated the way we talked about basketball. And I don't mean we as in – I mean we as in everyone. He he loved the game of basketball the same way I absolutely love the game of basketball, not just as the sport or this hobby or this distraction, but as the way it can weave in and out of every aspect of my life. And Kobe, I think, felt very much the same way, and he hated the way the discourse had become. The You know, jokes greater than facts or whatever, and, um, you know, the the where are these guys going to go, and legacy talk when we're talking. I mean, we already talk about Jokic's legacy. He's six years in, five years into his career, we're already talking about. He hated all that stuff, and he wanted to change it. It was one of his goals, and I think we don't even know what we lost when we lost him. That's the, the, some of the things he was doing post-career I just think were, were so great. But then, of course, you know, his daughters. I have daughters that just connecting to, to that aspect of him and it just him even as a father, I think, so so inspiring. But then I think about Mamba mentality and there's nothing – no, there's very few reversals of, of perspective that I've had that on Mamba mentality because I'm going to be honest with you. I thought it was the most ridiculous thing ever throughout the entirety of his playing career. And in part of it, I still stand by some of it. Like he, I, I feel like Mamba mentality evolved as he discovered it. Like this was an evolving thing that he was discovering throughout the course of his career and then in his post career. But there were moments in my life where I thought it was ridiculous that it was, you know, these bad vices disguised as virtues. The older I get, the more I think that, you know, the Mamba mentality, what what he had discovered and what I think he was trying to share with the world in his post-career. I thought, you know, I thought Kobe during his playing days, incredible ego in a bad way, meaning like he was very protective as almost all active athletes are of their own legacy or this or that. I felt like Kobe post-career had this perspective, had grown into this perspective where he was content with what it was that he had accomplished, no longer, you know, barking about his accomplishments or this or that. And, you know, and a lot of the things that that he, I think, had discovered through his course of his playing days, he was now able to apply to his life in a way that I just, I, I it really had caught my attention and, and I, I really enjoyed. But, and also, as I get older, you know, I'm now 36. Kobe was 40, I think. I'm 36. We're not that far apart in age. But as I get older and the older I get, the more I, I am inspired by the fact that there's just challenges. Life is just challenges. And... um. 
there's this great interview with Kobe, and I tried to find it because I wanted to play the clip, and I couldn't find it. If somebody fi- if somebody remembers this clip and wants to send it to me, I'd be very grateful because I was sitting honestly at my desk today for an hour thinking about this quote and trying to find it on the web so I could perfectly get it. Um, but he talked about somebody asked him about Michael Jordan and him comparing it, and he said, "Look, man, here's how it works. Michael Jordan came into the league. He had challenges." He didn't get to pick what his challenges were. He just he had challenges that were thrown at him. He had to overcome those, and how he overcame those that was his legacy. For me, I had different challenges. He came in. He's talking Kobe. This Kobe. He said he's saying I came in with Shaq. Like I had one of the best players in the world, and at a certain point, the best player in the world. That was different than what Michael had. I had a different challenge. Then as my career went on, it evolved. It was all different challenges, and I think that. What, what I like about that is the older you get, the, the more I feel that way. This is what's interesting about this show in this episode in particular is I'm recording it on New Year's Eve. I think a lot of people have this perspective. Okay, it's 2020 is over. This is the last day. Can't wait for 2020 to be over. And to be honest with you, 2020 was very rough for us at DNVR. It was our first year at DNVR. And one of the things I had to come to a realization throughout the course of this year, you know, when the pandemic hit in in March and we had just opened a bar and we have to shut it down and we have all these employees now and we don't know, are we even going to be able to afford our employees? There were people unsubscribing for our site. There was all these advertisers that immediately pulled all their funding because they just they, everybody was kind of in shock and there was a moment in time where uh, the partners the ownership group of, of DNVR were were looking around and just thinking like is this it is this the end of it and I'm proud to say that here we sit on December 31st 20 plus empl- full time employees at DNVR. Not a single person has missed a paycheck. Not a single person has had their pay reduced. Uh, we have found a way to get through this time, to at least to this point. Now, look, there's bigger challenges ahead. We're still towing an empty building that costs us thousands of dollars a month that we can't put anybody inside for safety reasons. So there's still challenges ahead. But there was a point in maybe April, or or and this was a point for everybody in April or May or June, where we all looked around and said, if we can just get through this and things get back to normal, we'll be fine. One of the things 2020 has taught me is that there's no end to the challenge. This has been probably the hardest working year of my life. And it's not ending. The calendar shifts, you know, bars open up or whatever, five, six months from now the vaccine comes out. There's just new challenges. And I think that's what Kobe knew. And I think that's part of what Mamba Mentality was, was this recognition that it's the process that you go through that is... That is the goal. It's not the end goal. The end goal is sort of the the byproduct of it. And Kobe has this great quote. He says, I'm, I'm different. I enjoy building. I enjoy the process of putting the puzzle together. And the byproduct of that, the consequence of that is beating someone. That becomes the cherry on top, the icing of the cake. And I just love that so much because I think that we're so trained to think about the end goal and and rarely in like this obstacle in front of it is just the thing we have to suck up and endure. But I think for Kobe and for many successful people, the challenge, identifying it, seeing it, and then being like, boom, that's what this is all about. Day after day, inch by inch, whatever it is, the challenge, that's what I that's what it's all about. And this is such a unique challenge this season for every everybody involved. And this is where I get to Michael Porter. You know, every season is its own challenge. It doesn't. It feels like it's a continuous story, right? It feels like, and sometimes it's it's easy to see that because oftentimes these things can be linear. And we saw Jokic as a rookie, then we saw him as a sophomore, and okay, the question was they didn't make the playoffs, can they make it? And it feels like it's a continuous story, but it's not. It's not a sequel. This is the this season is not a sequel to last season. It's not a remix. 
it's a completely different puzzle that has been handed to the Denver Nuggets. And whatever it was that they accomplished, whatever puzzle it was that they put together last year that led them to the Western Conference Finals, it doesn't matter anymore. This is a completely new puzzle. There's a lot of the same pieces. It appears the same. Maybe the final product looks the same, but it's a completely new challenge for them. And I think that's becoming more and more obvious as the season goes in that, wow, yes, Monte's back, Gary's back, Barton's back, all these guys are back. But guess what? They all have different roles now, including Jokic, including Jamal Murray. And the challenge that they are facing is so different. And I think one of the things that I think Michael Malone has been so great about this. I mean, Michael Malone on Media Week, whatever the Zoom was that he first spoke, he talked about this very thing. And as I'm sitting here reflecting on it the, the last 24 hours or so, really what he was saying really is kind of starting to hit even even harder and harder. He's a wise man, that, that Michael Malone. But that this season is completely different. It's not, it, it's not just that continuation. The challenge of this season that's become that we, we knew coming into it but is especially clear right now, the challenge is to get Michael Porter Jr. into the mix of this thing that we call Denver Nuggets basketball. He's so talented. We know that that's that's his talent, but the story of the 2021 Nuggets is going to be the story of the successful integration of Michael Porter Jr. or the failed integration of Michael Porter Jr. It's not going to be any other thing. They might trade and move on from him. They might do this or that, but that, that this is the story. Can they solve this puzzle? Because Michael Porter Jr. to me is the difference between this being a very fun, mildly or middlingly successful era of Denver Nuggets basketball and then being champions or them being complete failures. But it's Michael Porter. This is the story and this is the puzzle they're given. And this is why it's so funny. So when we talk about in the post game shows, you know, being disappointed this or it, it, you know, Oh, he's not getting this or look at how the team is frustrated this or that. It's not to say that Michael Porter is not a great player. I've already told you, I think he's an incredible player. His ceiling is actually as high, if not higher than Nikola Jokic's. And you guys know Jokic is my favorite, all-time favorite player. Michael Porter has that same ceiling at this very moment, at least, has that same ceiling. So I'm high on him, but it's a question of can they get there. And the second, uh, I'll take a little break here. On the other side, though, I want to talk about what that challenge is for the four key people involved. Michael Malone, Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, and of course, Michael Porter Jr. himself. WGT Golf is not only the most popular golf game in the world, it's also the official gaming partner of DNVR. It's become so popular, we've opened up the fourth country club. Each country club holds 250 people. That's almost 1,000 people. So if you don't want to feel left out anymore, you can download WGT and join the DNVR 4 country club by going to dnvrgolf.com. We will host weekly tournaments with awesome giveaways, so make sure you signed up to win easy money and beautiful DNVR swag. WGT Golf is the most realistic free golf game loved by uh, more than 20 million people worldwide. Play closest to the hole, play at world-famous golf courses including Pebble Beach, Bethpage Black, St. Andrews, Brandon Dunes, Wolf Creek, and more. You guys know how much I'm into golf here. Bandon? I think that might be a misprint. Complete head-to-head with your friends. You can hit your friends up. Uh, it's got this feature where if you have a friend that's also on there, you just challenge them to a game. It sends them a notification that you guys play head-to-head. One hole. It only takes like five minutes to play one hole. It actually takes like two minutes to play one hole. Or you can play 18, sit there and play for an hour. So make sure you go to dnvrgolf.com and download WGT Golf right now. Also, I want to tell you about Strava Craft Coffee, guys. Going to have you honking like a goose. You can subscribe now and save 20% with the Strava Craft Coffee subscription. That's right. 
We know a lot of you have taken advantage of that one-time offer where you use the promo code DNBR and you get 20% off a one-time order. Well, now you can get 20% off every order when you subscribe and you have uh, Strava Craft Coffee delivered right to your door. Why do I like it? Well, it's CBD-infused Strava Craft Coffee, which means it helps you with back pain, joint aches, uh, muscle aches, migraine, IBS, whatever it is. Helps you with all of those things. It gives you that jitter without making you feel, uh, you know, you know, too weird. It like levels you while it gives you the caffeine. But most of all, I like it because it's local, and you know, I like local things. Local Colorado company, so check them out. Strava Craft Coffee. All right, final segment here for you guys. Now I want to talk about Michael Porter and what that challenge means. Now that he becomes central to the challenge of the Denver Nuggets, let's first talk about Michael Malone. I think if you were to rank about who has the biggest challenges here, well, first and foremost, it's Michael Porter because, you know, he it's always comes down to the player. I never want to be one of these ones that, that says, like, more responsibility is put on the outside actors rather than the the uh, protagonist, but here it is, Michael Porter, he's number one, but I think Michael Michael Malone might have the second sort of toughest challenge ahead of him, because he has to get through to Michael Porter, and Michael Porter is, in my opinion, not a Michael Malone guy, what does that mean, Michael Malone, I think he loves guys that'll run through a wall for to play defense, guys that, you know, uh, yes sir type guys, you know, every coach likes that type of guy, the guy that just, uh, the Johnny hustles and you know, maybe the role players with with humility or this or that. Michael Porter, let's be honest, he has some swagger to him. He has some, uh, you know, cockiness to him. He's always been the best player at every team he's ever played on. So we, you know, he presents this certain the certain challenge. But more than anything, coaches like players that know that have just great uh, understanding of the game. Almost no NBA coaches like rookies. Or and I know Michael Porter's a second year player now, but I'm, no, they don't like young players. Because they like veterans who know what they're, you know, they know where to be. They don't have to be taught all of these lessons that they've taught year after year after year after year. You think about a coach like Michael Malone. He's been in the league now as a head coach. This is, I believe, his eighth year. He spends one one year and, and, and a tiny little bit in the second year in Sacramento. Then he's his sixth year here. But think about how many times he has had to teach rookies the same lessons, the same terminology, all of this different stuff. You can imagine for any coach it gets tiring. And now that Michael Malone has sort of brought this Nuggets team from their infancy up to contention, and now you have to go back to the start and, and work with a player that has to learn all the basics again. I imagine that's really frustrating. And usually those players are Zeke Naji, RJ Hampton, guys who have great upside. It's not that RJ Hampton doesn't have upside. It's just that no one expects those guys to be major contributors right now. Michael Porter is so talented and so good that they need him to be as you know great. They need him to sort of accelerate that learning curve. And I think Michael Malone might have to learn a new approach. Michael Malone does not have great patience. He does not Michael Malone does not have great temperament. He loses his he by his own admission and by the admission of every single one of his peers, he runs hot. He has a hard time staying clear focused. I think he's a great coach, but this is his weakness. This is his personality trait that is a, a double-edged sword. I think he's an incredibly motivated and hardworking coach. You hear that from everyone. You can see it. He wears it on his skin and on his face, how hard he works and how intensely he um, you know, wants to be great at his craft. But the, the other side of that coin is that I think it, it's very difficult for him to stay calm and stay um, patient uh, in the moment. 
And you see that with Michael Porter. I don't think I've ever seen I showed some buddies the other day. I might have put this in the DNVR lounge. Actually, I think I did uh, in the chat. With, so if you're a member, by the way, one of the great things about being a member, if you were on Twitter after this last Nuggets game, this shit show. Everybody yelling at everybody. Just that's what Twitter is. Everybody just yells at everyone. In the lounge, there was some really nice, reasonable discussions. There was even people that disagreed. Um, so you want to join it even, for nothing else, just for that. But I put out a picture of Michael Malone on the sideline, leaning back with his hands over his head. And I've, I put out, I think the caption I put on it was, I don't think I've ever seen Michael Malone sit like this before. And it was a, a, a look of full exasperation. Just a, a guy that was just like, T- telling himself, what was the the anger management movie where he had to like say a phrase like Usk Fabara or something like that? It was like Michael Malone doing his like meditations where he was like, how do I calm myself from this? He has to, he might have to learn a new approach. Michael Malone has to grow as a coach in order for Michael Porter Jr. to succeed. This is why I talk about this challenge. It's not for any one person. Coaching Michael Porter is going to be different than coaching Jokic, different than it was coaching Murray, different, it might be more similar to coaching Nurkic, a failure of his in the past, in my opinion. He might have to learn from that experience and apply it to to this one so that he doesn't have a repeat performance. Everybody has to take a little bit uh, of responsibility, I think, in bringing Michael Porter along. And you could throw the benchmarks out the window for right now. I know Michael Malone would love to have a top 10 defense. I know Michael Malone would love to have a top three seed. I know Michael Malone would love to have, you know, home quarter, this or that, or 48 minutes. Those are great goals. Those are great milestones. But not hitting those does not mean failure. To me, and I think to Michael Malone as well, I think he knows this, success this season is entering the playoffs with a team that has come together and a team that has integrated Michael Porter Jr. into their process. And to do so might mean taking an enormous step back. And I think he knows that. I think the team knows that. And right now you sit at 1-3. and three. Would you love to be 4-0? Oh? Absolutely. But if you have to be 1-3, if you have to be 20-20, um, it, by, it, halfway through the season or more than halfway through the season just to get to where you need to be with Michael Porter, then to me, that's a win. You don't want to miss the playoffs, of course, because then it becomes a wasted year. But making the playoffs, you you the goal at that, after, short of making the playoffs, the goal becomes getting Michael Porter uh, integrated into the, the, um, the system. And Malone's success is tied to Michael Porter's, by the way. If Michael Porter doesn't work out, Michael Malone might not work out. And I don't mean that incendiary. I, I just mean that as... It's Michael Malone has jumped so many hurdles to get the team to where they are now. But getting him over the hump is the new the new step. You know that's that that's what comes next. And if you don't do it, ask George Carl. George Carl at, at a certain was coach of the year. They let him go, right or wrong. This is how the NBA works. And Michael Malone is smart enough to know that he's the son of a coach. He's been in this long enough that he knows that his success is tied to it. So Michael Malone. Michael Porter's success is Michael Malone's success, and that that challenge is his. The next is Nikola Jokic. I think Jokic appears to be undergoing an awakening, this like sort of a maturation process. He talked going into the season. He spoke up and talked about how he wants to be more of a leader. I think if you watch him, he is trying to keep his temper with officials a lot, a, a lot more under control this season and last season. Like this is all. Even just his temper in general, I, I feel like he's doing fewer of the dumb, passive-aggressive things. He still has them, but you know, I think he's working to that. Jokic's challenge this season, it's not to average a triple-double. It's not to win an MVP, although I put $40 on it, and I would love for him to win MVP. 
His challenge this season is building trust and chemistry with Michael Porter. That's his challenge. And trust has to be earned. This isn't like he has to give Michael Porter unearned trust. But he does have to sacrifice a lot. He does have to go backwards a little bit in order to bring Michael Porter forwards. Jokic is a superstar, but even superstars have weaknesses to him. Michael Porter's weakness just so happens to be the thing that comes naturally to Jokic. And that is just feel for the game and IQ and an understanding of, you know, I I imagine Jokic is one of those guys that picked up on the playbook on the first week of of training camp, his rookie season. One of those guys that understood the angles or this or that better than even the coaches do. I mean, there's the famous story about Jokic back in his sophomore season when somebody asked him, it might have been me, I can't even remember who asked him about bringing the ball up the court and he said well, what was it that Michael Malone let you do that and he goes he doesn't I just start doing it and like he's so good that he tells you how good he is and then you're like oh I guess he's right um Michael Porter's different Michael Porter's incredibly talented in other ways he's way more athletic than Jokic his shot is better than Jokic some of his like individual scoring and skill set is better than Jokic his weakness is the thing that comes naturally to Jokic so he's a little bit opposite Their value structures are also different. Jokic values process above everything else. This is one of the traits of him. Jokic likes things to be done the right way on the basketball court, and he almost never makes the wrong decision. Meaning he sees the court and he knows, even if it's the subtle things like, I need to get out of the way now, he does it. Because that's how he views the game. Michael Porter is a lot more results-oriented. He's much more of like, yes, this was a bad shot, but I made it. If you look at Michael Porter Jr.'s efficiency right now, it's incredible. But you know what? Half the shots he's taken have been quote-unquote bad shots. And you say, well, how is it a bad shot if it goes in? It's a bad shot because a team is elevated when they all understand and are on the same page in that there are no bad shots because everyone's reading each other. If you go on the list for today... There's a clip of Michael Porter um, taking a drive. They're, they're running a set play. It's supposed to. Be, it's actually supposed to be a two-man game set for Jokic and Michael Porter. But instead of waiting for the play to develop, Michael Porter takes off. And I explain how that's not the right process. He gets to the basket. He gets stuck. And all of the other Nuggets players are sitting watching him and 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 are like, well, now what? Because Michael Porter picks up his dribble. He has nowhere to go. And Michael Porter has to like throw a lob up in the air that thankfully Jokic was able to catch. But it was like a play that there was no options off of because nobody else on the team knew what Michael Porter was doing. And I know people say, well, yeah, but you don't have to always stick to the script. It's true. But there are moments when you go off script in a way that makes sense. There is a structure to it. There's a structure, even in the chaos, there's a structure so that everyone knows, oh, he's doing this, I do that. And Michael Porter doesn't quite understand that yet. So Jokic, all about process. Michael Porter, all about results. Both are important. And if you can get on the same track with that, then the the process and results are going to be near flawless because these two players are so incredible. And there's a beauty in that contrast, right? There's a beauty in Jokic knowing, hey, we do all these things to get you open shots. And there's a, a beauty in Michael Porter being like, don't worry, because I can make not open shots. There's a nice synergy that can be had there. Jokic needs to improve his leadership. He needs to improve his temperament. And he knows these things. And like I said, he's working on them. He also needs to improve his communication. You know, they say this in like what, uh, this is like the famous line of couples therapy that all problems are a problem of communication. And this is extremely true of Jokic. Communica- learning to communicate to Michael Porter what it, Michael Porter doesn't know what he doesn't know. I, I get the sense that a lot of the things he does, he's like, why are you guys making me do this? I can make the shot. Jokic needs to learn how to communicate with him 
so that the both of them can get on the same page. That's Jokic's challenge this season. And is it a fair one? No, you would love for Jokic to have nothing but super high IQ players that all come in. But guess what? That's not the hand they were dealt. That's not the puzzle he was given to still Kobe Bryant's terminology. He was given this puzzle. It's not the puzzle he asked for, but if he completes the puzzle, it's going to be an incredible, incredible success that I think, in my opinion, will bring them an NBA championship sooner, um, sooner than most people realize. Jamal Murray... In a perfect world, Jamal Murray's season would be about his continued ascension towards stardom, so towards superstardom, really. But Murray's success with regards to winning a title is tied to Michael Porter's. Who knows how good Jokic and Murray could be without Michael Porter? Especially if you trade him for this or that. Who knows? Who knows? If they do receive that puzzle, then they can try to solve that puzzle and it'll be a different one. But right now they're handed him and they can't just say, well, Michael Porter doesn't get it. Send him to the bench or send him out of our way because we know that their ceiling is seven games against Utah, seven games against the Clippers, lost to the Lakers. There's always going to be one of those teams out there that they run into a ceiling with. Murray's success with regards to winning an NBA championship at this very moment is tied to Michael Porter Jr.'s ascension. And that's tough because that requires a lot of killing your own ego. And I think Jamal Murray wants this. I mean, I don't think Jamal Murray is like, we'll see, but I don't think he's like, I've got to go out and make the All-Star game. I was actually impressed with his comments on Media Week where he said, look, that would be great, but, you know, like, I'm realistic about this or that and what we have to accomplish. And the way he's played, we complain that he only had two field goals made in the first six quarters that he played. But the flip side of that was, you know, he didn't really shoot that much. It would have been worse if he came out and only had two field goals, but it was like, oh, man, I guess Murray read the clippings. You know, he's on Slam Magazine. He's gunning for for the scoring title or this. He wants to score 25 points per game. I think Murray gets it because he knows what success is about and he knows when the games really matter. matter. But there's going to be a lot of killing the ego because for him, he has to sacrifice maybe even more than Jokic to get Michael Porter Jr. to where he needs to be. And that's going to be tough because Murray just arrived on that mountaintop. Now he's got to climb all the way back down, grab Michael Porter Jr.'s hand, and walk with him lockstep all the way back up to the top. That's a really, really tough task. And I hope fans are appreciative of what it is that is being asked of Jamal Murray in that way. And then lastly, Michael Porter Jr. You know, he's never failed like he's failing right now. He had the injury, but he's never failed. 30 points in this last game, but the team lost. Um, best player on the court and worst player on the court at different moments, right? There are moments when he makes a shot that nobody else on the team can make. And there are moments when he misses a rotation that nobody else on the team would ever miss. And it just, this is, you can see him wearing it on his face right now, in my opinion. Michael Porter Jr., very expressive. You can always kind of see that what he's thinking or feeling. And oftentimes he just looks like he's carrying this enormous weight on his shoulders because he knows, like, this is so different in high school or even, you know, AAU, whatever it was. Nobody was ever upset at me. Nobody was ever like, Michael, you're ruining it for everyone. And whether players are saying this or not, there are moments where it's like, hey, man, you missed this and it cost us a basket. Jokic got dunked on sneaky in that Houston game. He got dunked on four times. Two or three of them were because of Michael Porter Jr. miscues. And there's Jokic waiting to just get dunked on. Um, so, you know, he is right now, I think – he he's he's handed a puzzle that he's never solved before he's handing handed a challenge that he's never had before um and he's got a coach who's clearly driven crazy by him i think michael malone who knows how he handles him behind closed doors but we all see the frustration he's wearing it and i think it weighs on michael porter but here's the thing that i want to stress 
that I hear from people within the organization, but also things that I truly believe from talking to the guy and just from watching him. I think he wants the right things. He's got this reputation of a guy that is cocky and it's all about him and he's selfish and, and this or that. And I think there's certain parts of that that you know, are a byproduct of him being one of the most famous basketball players in the country at age 14, 15, 16. I think there's a natural byproduct to sort of feel, you know, be feeling yourself as, as you go through the ranks. But I think that Michael Porter is incredibly motivated the same way Jamal Murray is and Jokic is, is as well. But I think Michael Porter, as much as anyone is just motivated to be the best version of himself. And he is finding out that the best version of himself and the areas that he has to work on are so different. You know, everything you, you, every time you grow, that growth comes from pain and suffering. You working out, people know this, like if you're going to get in good shape, you got to run and running hurts, right? Like you have to run and put yourself through so much pain in order for you to be in good shape. If you're working out muscles, you have to strain them. You have to make them sore and that pain puts the, makes them stronger. Well, the growth and the, the pain and suffering that he's going through right now is so unfamiliar to him because it's emotional, it's mental pain. And that it's not often that you go into a gym and you work on emotional pain or you work on, you know, you go into a gym, you're like, I need to work on my shot. I'm going to go, I'm going to sweat. I'm going to push myself this or that. He has to push himself mentally. And I think he is. We've heard uh, Harrison Wynn has been reporting up on thednvr.com about how he is becoming a student of the game. He's starting to study more film. He's start trying to learn these things. But I think even emotionally, you know, just having to realize and step back and say, I'm 22 years old. I'm an incredible shot maker and an incredible talent. But, you know, the emotional stress of fans talking about me, people people judging and and, and um, analyzing my every move, that's the burden of, of, of star players. And he's a star before he's a star. So he's going through it especially. And I just think that's incredibly tough. But that's his challenge. That's the puzzle he's been presented. And I think all these guys you hope to frame the season, they're all looking at that right now and saying, okay, this is, um, you know, this is what it is. Once you, the first challenge is seeing the puzzle, seeing the thing that's in front of you. Then it's accepting it and then getting to work on it. And it seems to me like, you know, we watch the game, we watch the Nuggets fall to one and three and you start to get that little bit of like, oh my God, they're failing. I don't think they're failing. Failing will be 20, 30 games from now if they're out of the playoffs or they're, they're, they're really not making any progress. What they're going through right now is that pain and suffering that is required for growth. And whether or not they achieve it is to, to be determined. But right now it's interesting and I hope fans find it you know, sort of interesting and even somewhat beautiful to see this sort of having to go back to square one, start every this whole process all the way back over because it's so clear. Every year there's that rebirth and that start over of a team and we're seeing that right now with this Denver Nuggets team. But it's a success for everyone. When we talk about Michael Porter Jr. succeeding or not succeeding, what we're really talking about is the Denver Nuggets succeeding, not succeeding. If Michael Porter fails, it's because Jokic failed. It's at least in part because Jokic failed to, to succeed alongside him. Jamal Murray failed to see it, succeed alongside him. And Michael Porter or Michael Malone failed to see, succeed alongside him. I hope this was fun for you guys to listen to and hopefully a nice reset and perspective builder for you as we go into this Nuggets season. And hopefully a good perspective builder as we go into a brand new calendar year because like I said I've been reflecting a lot lately and especially in today about you know the just the Kobe Bryant stuff and the things about Kobe Bryant that I and I think many other people find inspiring about him and as we get into 2020 a year that 
you know, has promise and hope after what was a pretty miserable year by a lot of counts for a lot of different people. I hope that people understand that it's not coming as a, um, a respite from pain and suffering, but more of an opportunity and new challenges that are ahead of us. And I look forward to those challenges right alongside all of you. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you all next time.